Welcome into the second hour of Sports Talk. We are out of the tunnel and onto the floor. And I am Scott Beatty. And in the ballgame now is Evan Kahn. We run till 6 o'clock. We've got plenty ahead for you. Uh, we've got basketball talk. We've got some football talk. We're going to play two out of three in a little bit. I'll give you the cue to call in. And if you're our contestants today, you can compete. And if you're up on your sports trivia of the week, you can win gift cards to the Esquire in downtown Champaign. Also, we're going to hear about a new book that just came out, Pathway to the Pros, The Legends of Peoria Basketball. The author is Jeff Carson, and there's some really neat stories in it, and we'll talk to him about some of the basketball history of Peoria, and a lot of it connects to Champaign, Urbana, and the University of Illinois, of course. And um, we may get uh, a word here or two from Illinois men's basketball. They're starting their media availability soon. We'll see if we get to connect anywhere with that. Evan Kahn, great to see you, sir. Good to see you. We, what, what, what are we going to learn about women this <laughs> You never know. I mean, you, every day, every hour, you, you learn new things. We have something more to debate in sports. We, we don't have enough things to debate in sports. You know how uh, baseball players go in the Hall of Fame, and it's like, which cap are they going to wear mm-hmm. on their their plaque? Uh, uh, you know, like Scott Rowland's going in, and is it going to be Philly, or is it going to be a Cardinal? Andre Dawson went in, is it going to be an Expo or a Cub? All that kind of stuff. Now we, have, now we have good luck to our alumni in the Super Bowl, and there's this whole debate with Jalen Hurts, and, and Oklahoma oh. is claiming him <laughs> as their guy in the – in the Super Bowl, but you know he played one season there, and it was a pretty darn good one. But he played a few more seasons at Alabama. So what? What you know? I, I don't know when they uh, flash the, uh, you know, I don't know if they still do it. They used to do it. it's like my name is so and so, and they give the university of mm-hmm. when they when the starting lineups are introduced. So I don't know. What, I don't know how you solve this one. This <laughs> is a very complex world we're living in it, it it is and i i actually do have an opinion on this because i've seen this making the rounds and uh, as much as people hate this i i think there's a gray area when it comes to this as far as jalen hurts i think both can claim him because i think he claims both there's pictures of him doing press conferences this year in alabama garb so i'm assuming that he's both a, a, a crimson tide as well as a sooner so i, I think they can do that Ohio State does not get to claim Joe Burrow. Okay, Joe Burrow did Please, not yeah. play, do anything of significance in a Buckeye uniform. He became the greatest college quarterback at LSU. So Ohio State can't claim Joe Burrow. Only LSU can. But I think Hurts and, and Oklahoma and Alabama, I think they can all get together. I forgot that Joe Burrow was at Ohio State until Ohio you brought kid. that. Yeah. But well, yeah, that makes sense. Playing with, and you know, playing with Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. But that was a whole Justin Fields deal. It was like the non-trade trade. You know, he goes to LSU, <laughs> and then Justin Fields got shipped from Georgia, yep. right? And and I, you know, I guess Georgia things worked out for them in the end. Yeah, I think it worked out for all of them. Yeah, it was nice. Look at all this triangulation of trades. It's kind of like the NBA. <laughs> What's going on today? So many trades, so many trades. The Bulls thought the deadline was tomorrow. Ugh. That's why they didn't do anything. 
uh, it's just it, it's sad. Wasn't, it's really sad. Wasn't how, the new GM supposed to be the 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 guy, the dude? And and that's why I'm torn between is this a front office issue or is this a Reinsdorf issue? Because we've seen it with the White Sox for years and years and years. We've seen it with the Bulls when they don't look into Michael Jordan, how bad they are as an organization in a whole. So I don't know which side it is, but the Bulls doing nothing when I think every other NBA team made a trade today, uh, not not a good look. Yeah, Zach Levine to the Knicks I think was – Getting it out there in amongst the rumor mill was is the best thing they could best they could do today. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't the best they could do. It was the best they were capable of doing. Apparently, right. <laughs> it was the most they were capable of doing. To be more accurate, no. I I thought the night was over. I went to bed about eleven o'clock. I, I called it good, and I wake up and I just open the apps to see what the headlines are, and it's like oh. Oh, I guess we're going to trade <laughs> uh, Kevin Durant as well as you know Kyrie Irving was already traded, and they just kept on coming and coming. So NBA doing their best MLB trade deadline impersonation here yeah. today. Well, yep. While you were sleeping, that's what happens. Travis Tate called it a hurricane, and it's <laughs> it, it's the NBA continues to do very well at um, keeping themselves at the in the forefront of news cycles and, and, and fan interest. There's, and, and in a way that doesn't annoy me quite as much as the NFL. There, there's no shortage of drama when it comes to the NBA. There I, is I don't, a little bit of drama that I'm tired of. I know there's no script with the NFL. I don't know if you can convince me there's not a script with the NBA, at least with the off-the-court stuff that, that sometimes goes on. I mean, all three of these guys wanted to play together, and they played 17 games together. I mean, that just, that just doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. Uh, hey, we were talking about this last hour. Your guy's off Twitter, Paul Mulcahy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like for good reason, and the reason why he's just a dirty little rat who I can't <laughs> wait until he's gone. He's cheap. He's gross. He doesn't – you want to talk about playing the game the right way. He does not play the game the right way. He plays it like a shady punk who's never got his clock cleaned, and he probably deserves it. He, he, he's right there with Grayson Allen and Chris Paul as far as kind of the cheapest, dirtiest players in basketball. So uh, you think he did try to... Absolutely. Trace Absolutely. He's got a history of it. It's what he does. Yeah. He's just... It, it, that's exactly it. I'm convinced he, he's never been hit, and he probably, he probably needs a, a good punch to the kisser. <laughs> Is the coffee good? It's It's good. <laughs> It's good. I hate that guy, man. He's just the worst. The He's going to be in town this weekend. The crush may give it to him, yeah. Illinois Rutgers on Saturday. It's a 1 p.m. tip. It's an 11 a.m. Uh, game day start. We'll do it right after Saturday sports talk and get into it. And both teams, they're all big at this time of year, but both teams need it. They, they do indeed, especially with the Illini and their home record that, that we keep going over here in Big Ten play. You just can't lose home games that was a a big win for Wisconsin to pick up on the road last night you look uh, across the nation even number whatever Tennessee who was in that you know conversation for number one in the AP poll they fell on the road so it's not easy to win on the road you got to win them at at home and Rutgers has shown that they can win on the road in the Big Ten yeah so they couldn't win uh this week against Indiana but uh, I give I don't know what the point spread would be I would 
give it Could Illinois less than five. I would give it Illinois one and a half or something. Yeah, that's what I would somewhere do. around Just there. Give them a home field, home court advantage. Coming up in a little bit, uh, we are getting close to a big one for Illinois women's basketball against Nebraska tonight, and. I, I hate to oversimplify it. I think it's just going to come down to who makes some three-point shots. Mm-hmm. Nebraska will take a lot, but they haven't been shooting them at that high of a clip. And uh, Illinois just needs to get some to go in, which is harder to do on the road. Yeah, they haven't been shooting it quite as well as they were at, at one point in time. But uh, it sounds like Makaira Cook and Genesis Bryant and even uh, Adelia McKenzie's come on the, the last few games knowing that they got to get downhill, especially on the road. Shots aren't going to fall the same kind of way. And Shauna Green, you know, hangs her, her hat on the defense and, and that can surely travel. I didn't look at lineups wise but Illinois usually a, a little undersized so they're they're going to have to bring it in the the raucous environment in Nebraska. Yeah, Alexis Markowski is is a, a a force down low. She's not quite she's not quite a Monica Cinzano or a, a, a Mackenzie Holmes over at Indiana but you know, she's a she's a good big and she was good last year as a freshman. She's gotten better. She's a double double threat. So uh, if Illinois can keep them from getting their threes, they, they got a good chance. Sounds, sounds like the formula in the Big Ten for both men's and women's basketball. Get you a big down low, get you some shooters to sprinkle around the outside and go to work. It's a game of basketball. <laughs> it's the game of basketball. We're off and running here on Sports Talk. You got anything on your mind, you can weigh in on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. We're going to play two out of three coming up. We're going to talk some Peoria hoops also. Stay with us. Your game's tonight in the Big Ten. Uh, on the men's side of note, Purdue hosting Iowa. Purdue is an eight-point favorite at home at Mackey against the Hawkeyes. And on the women's side, of course, the line I play, but the game of the world is Iowa and Indiana. And I'm going with Indiana on that. Who is that now? Sorry. I was reading this book here. Oh, yeah. Iowa and Indiana uh, on the women's side tonight. Top five matchup. Oh yeah, that is that is indeed a big one. Is that did they get the the Big Ten game? They should have, or the Big Ten Network game. That is. I don't know. I I don't know what network it's on. Hmm. But it starts at in about six six minutes. So we'll find out. I was gonna say we we'll have to get it on the TV. It is on BTN. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so smart, smart so here up. we go. Let, let me get on my soapbox and complain. When did when did we flip to these five thirty seven thirty starts? Right, this game starting at five thirty. Last night, a Big Ten game started at five thirty. I don't know. I haven't gotten a single one of those all year. Where's mine at? Where's my five thirty tip? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it tends to be the East Coast. Well, no. But this is this in Indiana. Yeah, this I game guess in Indiana. So. It tends to be the East Coast games that get the five thirty. They, they just get that that little extra half yeah, hour. Six thirty on the East. We were supposed to get that seven thirty tip on Tuesday night. Yeah. And now you get an 8 o'clock tip on Monday night, the 20th, instead. Illinois and Minnesota. So now we'll have that full eight hours of sports and basketball coverage on Monday that everybody desires. That's true. It is a service to all our listeners. It's really a gift. that starts at 4 with with sports talk and goes into game day at 6 and tip off at 8 and fasteners, etc., post-game show afterward and... And uh, that's by then that'll be February twentieth. By then, you know, Luke Goody's in the starting lineup and going off for <laughs> seventeen. 
with uh, five three-pointers made and two free throws. That's how he does it. Okay. Sure. That's that's by then. That's where he'll be, right? What will he be on Saturday? We decided yesterday sprinkling a couple of minutes. At best. You know, the – you know, like – 14 minutes left in the first half, mm-hmm. 13 minutes. Let's get him in and give somebody a breather and uh, give him some run until the media timeout. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe at the end of the first half or or if it gets – it's not going to against Rutgers. I, one way or the other. It's just not a game that one team runs away with. No, no way. And, yeah, yeah we'll see. Hopefully it's not – also because of foul trouble, again, for the Illini. That's what I was going to mention. Last night, I don't know why, but I decided I was going to watch Iowa State and West Virginia. Okay. 12 fouls before the first media timeout. 12 fouls were called. I thought something was wrong with my TV because the announcer just kept going, and there's another foul. And there's another foul. It was like every single play for about a minute and a half was a foul. And Iowa State was in the bonus before the under-16 timeout. So the assumption is is that the referees aren't letting them play. But let me ask, were the players just playing poorly and undisciplined and fouling a lot? It was both. I think a a, a little bit of both. And that's that's where you're trying to find that that line and that consistency if you're going to let guys get away with stuff in the first half you got to keep letting them get away with it in the second half because if you start calling that in the second half then people are upset because you're getting away with it in the first half so we're just looking for some consistency and some continuity Penn State Wisconsin had one of those old so the second half the first called timeout becomes a media timeout Mm -hmm. in men's hoops and somebody did that in the Wisconsin Penn State game last night like 409 left on the clock in the in the second half, and so they got to go to media. Then they come out, and somebody runs a play, and the the ball goes out of bounds or something, and then they got to go to media and timeout. I mean, yeah. we we really did not get much progress made in that game <laughs> for a good seven eight minutes. <laughs> that's that's the worst. That's why you always hope that that things start out really well. You get to that under sixteen timeout, and then maybe things start going a, a little awry towards the middle of the second half. They finally started doing things where like oh. Uh, we've got to go to review to the monitor, and it's like 8.02 left in the half. And then they say, okay, this will be the under-8 media. Mm-hmm. So we don't do this big review, play two seconds of basketball, and then go to a, a, a timeout. That also makes me wonder, do you wish the under the two-minute warning was present in the uh, in college football? No. I don't know why my life is better or worse with a two-minute warning in the NFL. It's obviously something that was concocted decades ago to to create a commercial break and and and, and amp up the drama. But it, it's and it's you know it gives everybody a a, a timeout if, whether or not they have it. You know, you're going to take that. a break. But I I just decided that I don't know if my life is better or not with a two-minute warning. And are I mean. I think the players are aware. I don't know if they really need the warning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I n- never uh, quite thought about why there is a two-minute warning in the NFL. That makes sense. I like that conspiracy theory because we know how much the NFL loves their dollar signs. Oh, but all sports do it. I yeah. mean, this is the reason why the men's game won't go to quarters. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced. I don't know Cause why. Because you're going to lose, you'd lose, lose a commercial break, breaks. Or you'd have to create an artificial one. Yep. Uh, the women's game plays quarters, and they get three breaks. Mm-hmm. Midway through the first, 
end of the first, midway through the second. Same in the second half, but the first called timeout also becomes, so they get an extra break. But it's still, it's one less break than the men get. No wonder. For commercial inventory. No wonder the games move so much better. <laughs> Just insane. What was that What was that game that we had on Saturday? Two and a half hours? Mm. All right. Oh. Let me tell you about what a great game we have here for you. It's called Two Out of Three. Oh. And this is a question, a, a series of questions that if you answer two out of three, you get prizes. Mm-hmm. If you get all three, you get even more prizes. And I would like you, the listener, to have a chance to play it right now if you're feeling up on your current events. Give us a call to play two out of three. 217-356-9397. That's 217-356-9397. Join us to play some sports trivia called Two Out of Three and see if you're a winner. Welcome back on Sports Talk. It's time for everybody's favorite sports radio game show within this zip code. It's two out of three where where you can answer some trivia questions on current sports events and win some prizes to the Esquire. Let's go to the phones. Today's contestant is Dave. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Are you feeling knowledgeable and or lucky? We'll see. <laughs> All right. Where are you calling from? Champagne. Very good. Well, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you playing. I'm going to ask you three questions. Get uh, two out of three correct. You get $10 to use at the Esquire. Get all three correct. You get 20 Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Here we go. Question number one. On Tuesday night, LeBron James became the NBA's all-time leading scorer by passing up who? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You oh, put that up there. Here we go. You are correct, sir. Very good. Very good. More than 38,000 points. Not in one game. He did it over the entire career. All right. <laughs> Great start. Question number two. This week marked the 10-year anniversary of when Illinois men's basketball got an upset win with Tyler Griffey's last-second layup to beat what number one ranked team? The Hoosiers of Indiana. You are correct. 74-72. I love it when it's an interstate score. Almost there. Final question. You ready, Dave? Yes. For the first time ever, this Sunday's Super Bowl between the Eagles and the Chiefs will feature two starting quarterbacks who are both what? Hmm. It's apparent when you look at them. Ethnic? Yeah. Of a specific ethnicity or color. Hispanic? No, I'm sorry. They're both African-American or black, but... Evan, okay. how did Dave do? Hey, we still got a winner. Two out of three. And as we know, Dave, two out of three isn't bad. Dave, thanks for playing. You've got $10 coming your way to the Esquire. Great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Good stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Jalen Hurts and Pat Mahomes making history as uh, I'm as the first two first Super Bowl quarterbacks to both be black. 
wonder if it's the first matchup of former Big 12 quarterbacks. Well, that's true. Well, and 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 future SEC. <laughs> well, not yet, but I'm sure Texas Tech is is a coming. Yeah. Um, a, a texture filled us in on this. Um, we were talking about the two minute warning and why it exists. Oh, yeah. Money. I said, you know, I said, I'm, I said, I'm pretty sure the players are aware, right? <laughs> that there's two minutes left on the I, clock. Yeah. My biggest gripe is it's not a big enough warning. I'm looking for like an air raid <laughs> yeah, siren yeah, yeah. here. Okay. But um, this texture says this. The 217 texture says, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the two-minute warning was exactly that. There were no visible game clocks, and official time was kept oh. on the field. Oh. The referees took a timeout at two minutes to warn the teams that there was two minutes left in the game. And in the 60s and the 70s, when the clock became visible, they left the warning in, and it was a good TV timeout. Okay. I so guess- I, I appreciate the, the context there. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it played right into the NFL's hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll come back. We're going to talk with Jeff Carson. He is the author of Playground of the Pros, Legends of Peoria Basketball. Get some Peoria history, and there's plenty of it that connects to right here at the University of Illinois. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, who has a new number one Illini atop his MVP list. Matthew Meyer. We were hoping to connect with uh, Illinois men's hoops with their practice uh, wrapping up. Not in uh, time for us to talk uh, with them. We were going to try and get to talk with Terrence Shannon Jr. It just didn't work today with scheduling and their media availability. Mm-hmm. Would normally be tomorrow, the day before a game, but they're doing two days out because uh, I think they're dedicating the oven complex tomorrow. I think they're having a big ceremony with, with, with all that. We are pleased to be joined by an author, Jeff Carson, who has written a book that is just out this week called Playground to the Pros, Legends of Peoria Basketball. And Jeff is good enough to make some time for us here on Sports Talk. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really do appreciate it. And I really appreciate the book. I got a chance to get through it. And uh, there's some fascinating stories and items that... I don't think everybody is aware of and how I think you did a great job of sort of bringing together a whole history. I think we all have heard of the Peoria pipeline. If you've been following Illinois basketball and there's actually been a couple of waves of them, but you really wove some things together and gave us a bigger city, uh, a bigger sense of the city and its meaning to the state and, and beyond. Well, I, I appreciate those kind words. Um, yeah, certainly my, my aim was to, kind of pull the curtain back and and tell some stories and uh and things about players and coaches that hadn't been told before so a lot of the names are going to be familiar to Illini fans and and just basketball fans in general but um, like you said the I think I got a lot of uh pretty great information and um, once I started digging and and reporting uh, the flood of of stories was was just kind of a goldmine and uh, turned out even better than I could have hoped, I think. Forgive me for not knowing this answer, if I should, but what's your connection to the city of Peoria? Was it just a topic you were interested in, or or do you have a lot of connection to it? Sure. Uh, I actually don't have a lot of connection uh, to Peoria. The, the one aspect that kind of got my uh, 
my interest peaked was um, my dad is an Illinois grad and he, uh, one of his best friends from the U of I um, to this day is uh, a guy named Sandy Farkash, who was in the 90s, a principal at Peoria Manual during that amazing four-peat and, and all the success they had. So I'm from Chicago and I, I still live here, um, but following, you know, as a big basketball fan and, and then a, as a, a sports writer, um, I always kind of had an eye on Peoria because of that connection, family connection um, with Manual and, and then kind of following it from afar that way. Talking with Jeff Carson, he's written a new book called Playground of the Pros about the history of Peoria basketball. Hey, Jeff, this is Evan, and I apologize. Uh, i seen that this book had come out, and Scott was, was bogarting it a, a little bit, so I haven't got to <laughs> flip through it all the way. But I, I was just kind of wondering, you, you mentioned there that, that peak in the 90s with the, the McLeans and, and all the good stuff with Peoria. Was that was that the, the height of Peoria basketball as a whole for, for the state of Illinois and for the city itself? Yeah, so the the book covers kind of a 15-year period from the late 80s with uh, Howard Nathan, who was the became the first Mr. Basketball from Peoria. Uh, a, a lot of fans, I think, will remember that name. And then in throughout, and then through the 90s, and and concluding in the early 2000s with Sean Livingston at Peoria Central. So uh, yes, the 90s are are a huge part of it. Um, manuals for Pete occurred during that period and and also the you know terrific um, Peoria to Illinois pipeline covered that that span as well yeah and, and you mentioned Sean Livingston that's really when, when I started getting it and watching basketball it was when Sean went straight from Peoria to the NBA was there a, a specific story from looking at, at his journey that that stood out to you yeah, you know, his, his story is a fascinating one, and, and it's uh, the last chapter in the book is about Sean and, and a lot about his dad as well, um, Reggie Livingston, who I got to know pretty well. So Sean um, was raised by his dad in just a single father in Peoria, um, and they had some really tough times when he was a kid, but Reggie was kind of ahead of his time in some ways. Um, he kind of did research on what camps Sean should go to and kind of uh, was a bit of a savant in getting him exposure at a young age before, you know, before this time of, of all the recruiting websites and all those things like that as, as prolific as they are today. Um, so yeah, he w- that was a really uh, fun one to dig into. And um, uh, Illini fans, I-, I think will maybe get a kick out of or, or be interested in a part of that uh, chapter where I asked him, about the infamous uh, wearing a Brian Cook jersey the day before his announcement when he picked Duke, um, and he, he had a great answer to that. So I, I think Illini fans will, will find that interesting. We're talking with Jeff Carson. Can you encapsulate how Peoria became such a producer of basketball talent? Does it stand out in the amount? Because you have New York, you have L.A., you have Chicago, and it seems like Peoria at least for a good stretch was rivaling rival comparing itself with uh, major cities. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think for this, you know, this rare moment in time, this 15 year stretch or so, I really do think they were on par with any city in America basketball wise, which is just incredible when you consider that it's only about a hundred thousand people. 
Um, and also, you know, when you think about the great teams of today, it's kids coming from all over the country to attend a prep school, you know, the prolific prep or Oak Hill or whatever like that. Well, these kids all lived in the same neighborhood. Um, Griffin, Marcus Griffin and, and Sergio McLean and Frank Williams, they lived in about a six block radius on the south side of Peoria. And, <laughs> and how's this? So did Mike Robinson. He lived near them as well. And he was a five-star McDonald's All-American. He had, ended up going to Purdue and having a, a decent college career. But he, didn't, he went to a different high school. He went to Peoria Richwoods, not Manuel. Um, but we're talking about, you know, a half dozen Big Ten, future Big Ten excellent players, not just, not just on rosters, but Big Ten players of the year type kids like A.J. Guyton and Frank Williams in this, you know, small city and small neighborhoods and um, just, just kind of incredible to have so much talent at the same time and in the same small place like that. I was touched about the the story of Wayne McLean, which I think a lot of um, longer time fans here know about Wayne and and what he did as a coach there, and then coming to Illinois. But there's something I didn't realize was he almost left Peoria Manual because he wanted to become the head coach, and he was mm-hmm. waiting for his predecessor to retire and didn't think that would happen. And I just right. wonder what would have happened if. His predecessor, by his right, decided to go one more season, and Wayne McLean left. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a great question and kind of a fun thing to think about. So the the, the predecessor that you're speaking of is Dick Van Syak, who, uh, when he retired, he was the winningest coach in Illinois high school basketball history. And the last game that that Coach Van coached was the first Manual State title uh, of of what became that four peat. So they beat Carbondale by one point at the old assembly hall before, before state farm center, of course. And, and then coach van a little bit later on that summer stepped down. Um, so Wayne got to, to assume the duties, but yeah, that's, that's a fun thing to think about. Um, what would have happened? Cause you know, he, he ends up winning three straight state titles and then he ends up ha- being a coach at Illinois and, and Kansas state for a year. So, um, you know, it's one of those, domino effect kind of things where uh, it was it was good for coach McLean that that Ben Syak did retire and he finally got to assume that role talking with Jeff Carson he's an author and he's written a good book about uh, the history of Peoria basketball well Jeff uh, a lot of this has to do with, with what's happened in the past uh, I wonder with, with talking with people to to do this book if you've heard what's going on with Peoria basketball today uh, just thinking here in recent history I believe Brian Randall uh, thinking the the Illinois connection was a, a really big one of course DeMonte here recently but uh, it's not quite what it was at its peak. So uh, what's different with Peoria basketball right now? Yeah. So I, I think a couple of things, I, I think number one, um, acting, you know, thinking that it could ever be a uh, consistently be what it was for that 10 or 15 year period is probably unrealistic mm-hmm. because that was just a really, really special moment in time. So it's never going to be that, um, again, and it, and it has certainly dipped. So there, there's some, uh, been a few D1 kids, like you said, Brian Randall, uh, which is a while ago now, but DeMonte uh, more recently. And then there's uh, J.R. Koch's son um, is going to, I believe he's committed to Iowa uh, as well. And, and then there's been a few others. But, so uh, you know, it's basketball still holds a, uh, a tremendous amount of importance in that town. 
that hasn't changed, but you know, it's a sign of the times, I think, mm-hmm. where you drive around and you don't see kids playing on the playground like you used to. And it's kind of gone down a few notches in, in level of importance for the kids. So that probably has translated to, to less winning and, and less excellence. Um, but they still have some decent teams and it's just, it's just probably never going to be what it was for that period. Yeah, I think Peoria Richwoods is ranked in the state right now as 3A, so still good basketball there. But, of course, then I got thinking yeah. Adam Miller at one time was in Peoria and he moved away. Sure. So I'm sure that that plays a large part and we see it all around. Did anybody try to come and say, insert name here, is the greatest player to ever come out of Peoria? Is that a debate? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun one, too. So. Most people in town give that to Howard Nathan, um, Mr. Basketball in 1991. He was a, a five-star McDonald's All-American. Um, he went to DePaul for only one year, and then he played at Northeast Louisiana for one year and had a very, very, very brief, uh, literally 15 minutes of NBA time um, in, in his career. So he, so that's the, kind of the name that is held up in, in lore and, kind of hushed tones when you talk about Howard Nathan, but the, the other one and, and the more accomplished one, if we talk about professionally is Sean Livingston. So, um, you know, a lot of people know that story of, of straight from high school to the pros. He was the fourth pick in the draft and then a devastating knee injury in his third year with the Clippers, but, uh, had, you know, worked his butt off to recover and ended up having a 15 year NBA career and winning three titles with the Warriors. So I think the, I think it's a pretty common, uh, if, if there's going to be a debate, it would be between Howard Nathan and Sean Livingston. Jeff, what keeps you busy when you're not writing books? <laughs> so I, I actually work in the, in the healthcare industry in Chicago. I've um, been doing that for a while since I got out of daily newspapers. And then I also do some, uh, sport, some freelance uh, sports writing as well. Um, covered, I've covered basketball recruiting for a long time. So I do that uh, on occasion for websites that cover Michigan State and Illinois. So uh, try to be in the gym as much as I can with that. What is uh, different now about recruiting in the NIL world? Oof, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to affect it, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. Wink, wink. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot different. The, the kids are asking different questions and um, – I suppose in one respect, they can be more honest about why they pick a school <laughs> for some of it. Um, but boy, it sure is a different landscape. And uh, I think the lack of regulations with it is not such a positive. Um, I'm happy for the kids to be to finally be earning some money. That's cool. But uh, it would be nice if there was some oversight and maybe, you know, uh, maybe some rules to follow along this deal. The book is Playground to the Pros, uh, Playgrounds to the Pulp Pros, Legends of Peoria Basketball. Author is Jeff Carson. And uh, Jeff, where is the, the best places to get the book? Sure. So uh, best bets are probably at, on the University of Illinois Press website or on Amazon, like so many uh, folks like to go to buy their things. It's, it's also on there as well. Very good. Jeff, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, the book is great, we, and uh, I think there's a lot of basketball fans here that will like the stroll down memory lane and or learn new things, as I did. Yeah, yeah, I, ho- I hope so, and 
thanks for having me on. The, the one quick thing I wanted to mention that, that I found was fascinating um, is we all knew that there was a ton of kids who went from Peoria to Illinois, but I did not realize that the streak was 19 consecutive years of having a Peoria native on the Illini. So pretty amazing stuff. That, that That's the the wave that began with Howard Nathan and f- finished with DeMonte Williams? Well, uh, actually began with Jerry Hester. Oh, uh, beg my, excuse me, yeah, Jerry. And then and finished with DJ Richardson, I believe. And then yes. there was a few years off and then DeMonte. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that's just one after the other and, and really good players. So, so pretty great pipeline the, the orange and blue had going for a long time. Yep. Thanks a lot, Jeff. All right, thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Jerry Hester almost went to Wisconsin, hmm. uh, but he was uh, uh, told you need to stay home. Uh, now I'm forgetting. I read the read the anecdote. Um, uh, a former Illini player had said, "You know, you need to go. To, you need to play at Illinois, huh. and it's going to be good for you to stay home." And I don't think Jerry Hester ever looked back. Yeah, I, I doubt he regrets that. Can't believe how did I forget DJ Richardson? He's back there coaching if I remember right. I think he's coaching at a high school in Peoria now. So, we're back to wrap up in a moment on Sports Talk. Join us on Saturday. It's Illinois and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at 1 o'clock. The only meeting of the regular season between these two schools. 11 o'clock, Illini game day. 1 o'clock, the tip Saturday. The top five matchup right now of Iowa and Indiana on the women's side is tied at 19. Appropriately enough, they've just started into the second quarter over to Assembly Hall. And uh, Illinois against the Huskers. Tonight at 6.45 pregame with Mike Kuhn, 7 o'clock tip-off. I'll say it again. Pretty important road game for Illinois. They got another big one on Sunday at Maryland. On paper, on paper, this is the more gettable game. Yes. So I think you really want this, and you would love to at least go one-and-one in these two road games. Yeah, hopefully use it as a a springboard into Sunday and you knock off. Uh, Maryland, you're you're sitting really good for the stretch run here in, in the Big Ten. Wow, well, only two weeks left, basically, because yeah. they're going to be off for a week after these two games. The 26th is the last game of the season. The women end a little earlier, but then I think they have, uh, yeah, the tournaments a week before the mm-hmm. Big Ten tournaments are staggered, but then the March Madness right. starts at the same time. So they'll have that week off afterwards to, yeah. to And I you know, everyone says they're in pretty good shape for the NCAA tournament. You know, they're they're showing up in all the bracketology. But I just I've I don't feel like it's a lock yet. And probably one more one more signature win, especially a road win, I think would 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 really help their case. You've got the win against Iowa. You've beaten everybody basically that you should have, but uh, you, you, probably just one more signature win. Yeah, I, I think finishing two games over five hundred or at five hundred or better probably is good. But you know, oh, yeah. you know and you got got to get to twenty win. I think they can do it. I mm-hmm. think they can do it. Well, every usual funky Friday fun tomorrow. Yeah, Brian and. Bob and Matt and who knows what else. Plenty plenty to do. I don't know if we buried the lead here. Or maybe I, I miss you guys talking about it in the first hour. What do we make of, of Sky Clark tweeting out old practice videos? Calling them hashtag the lost files. <laughs> the NBA has given us enough drama. Yeah, I saw it, saw it this morning when I was perusing the Twitter. 
couple of videos of him making plays? I don't know. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. That's why I was asking. I, I would only be guessing. Okay. I would only be guessing. I guess we'll see. Thanks to our guests, Scott Ritchie, Jeff Carson, Ed Bond, our producer-engineer for Evan Kahn. I'm Scott Beatty. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a great night. Women's Hoops coming up in a little bit. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Good night.